Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. There is not a greater day in the life of a church or a seminary than the celebration of the sending out of Great Commission Christians to the nations who have a passion for sowing gospel seeds where few crops exist. I can tell you as a pastor that uh, I have several couples serving overseas. I've got a couple serving in Asia. I've got a couple serving in one of the hardest countries in the world in Europe. I've got a couple serving in Central America. We've got many, many people around the world. And I personally get so excited when we send people out. And when Dr. Aiken called and gave me the great honor and privilege as always to be here to, to preach to you, um, I had just preached a message in my church that God had just so blessed. So I, I called Dr. Aiken and I said, hey, I want to send you a message. I want to look over it. I said, it's not a typical mission-minded message, but I think you'll uh, think it's uh, something that we need to hear. And so he did, and he helped me tweak a little bit. And God laid on my heart a book of the Bible that we never associate with missions. We never think about it. I promise you, if you had been asked to speak and give a message today on this occasion, probably all of you would have never thought about this book. And let me tell you how I got to this point. It comes out of one of the greatest inventions in my lifetime, which is the smartphone. Now, prior to its invention, as you know, a telephone was only used for one purpose, right? Communication. You called and you talked and you heard. But now with the creation of the smartphone, everything's changed. It's amazing how this little piece of metal and plastic that I hold in my hand can be used for communication, it can be used for information, it can be used for transportation, and it can even be used for conversation. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, one of the two things I tell young pastors, two things will get a pastor in trouble, women and money, probably in that order. And so I tell young pastors, look, guard yourself with other women, guard yourself with money. And I've always had a personal policy. I know Dr. Aiken has the same policy. I never, ever travel with a woman alone. Never. However, with my smartphone, I've had to change that policy. Because there is a woman that I have to ride with everywhere I go now. You know what her name is. Her name is Siri. Well, Siri is one of the most interesting and fascinating women I've ever known. Now, somebody says, well, wait a minute. She's not a real woman. Oh, yes, she's a real woman. You say, well, how do you know? Well, she doesn't claim to know everything, but she'll never admit she's wrong. <laughs> um, she answers only the questions she wants to answer. If she doesn't want to answer it, she'll send you to either someone else or she'll tell you to get lost. I've actually gotten into arguments with Siri. And I, I know she's a real woman because you know this, if you're a man, when I get into argument with her, I'm the only one that loses my cool. I'm the only one that gets angry. So she really is real. Well, one of the fun things to do is to ask Siri fun questions. So we've kind of hooked up the monitor so you can hear some of the answers that I just asked her recently. For example, I'm going to ask her this one. Siri, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Well, since a woodchuck is really a groundhog, 
the correct question would be, how many pounds in a groundhog's mound when a groundhog pounds hog mounds? So I said, okay, let me ask you a little tougher question. I said, Siri, why are fire trucks red? Because they have eight wheels and four people on them, and four plus eight is twelve, and there are twelve inches in a foot, and one foot is a ruler, and Queen Elizabeth was a ruler, and Queen Elizabeth was also a ship, and the ship sailed the seas, and in the seas are fish, and fish have fins, and the fins fought the Russians, and the Russians are red, and that's why fire trucks are red. I love this lady, she's awesome. And then I asked her this, I said, Siri, what is the greatest team in all of college football? The greatest team is the Bulldogs of the University of Georgia. Go That's Dogs. my girl. That's my girl. Well, we, uh, we did something in our church. We, did, we really did this. We did a little unscientific survey, and we asked some people this question. If you could ask Siri a spiritual question and you knew you would get an answer, what would it be? Let me tell you what amazed us. One of the most amazing questions we got, and one of the most asked questions, was about the existence of God. However, it was not the question that you think would have been asked. The question that people wanted to ask Siri was not, is there a God? They actually asked a deeper question. The question they asked was, if God exists, what difference does it make? That's the question people are asking today. It's not a great debate about really. I mean, nobody kind of debates those questions anymore. We all know the cosmological arguments and all of those things. Now people are saying, okay, let's just say there is a God. What difference does it make? I came across a blog where a person recalled how a friend of his who was an Episcopal priest had an atheist friend that came up to him and, and sat down and said, I want to ask you a question. You know I'm an atheist. He said, yes. He said, I don't want you to try to prove God exists to me. I just want you to answer this question. Even if God exists, what difference would that make in my life? Well, the priest struggled with that question, so the priest asked this blogger, how would you answer that question? And out of that question, the blogger decided he would live a full year of his life as if God didn't exist. He said, I'm going to live every day of my life as if there is no God. Now, he didn't tell the results and what happened in his life as a result of living that way, but here's the good news. There was a man in the Bible that did. There was a man that made a decision, I'm going to live my life as if there is no God. I'm going to live my life as if this life is all that there is. I'm going to live my life as if God does not exist. And this man wrote an entire book in the Bible to talk about what that's like. So if you brought a copy of God's Word or a smartphone or a tablet or an iPhone, whatever you use, I want you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. And as you're turning to Ecclesiastes, you already know the story, but just in case you, you don't remember all of it, there was a man named King Solomon. He was portrayed in the Bible as the wisest man who ever lived. He actually wrote three books. His first book, The Song of Solomon, was a book of romance that he wrote as a young man. The book of Proverbs was a book of realizations about life that was written when he was middle-aged. But Ecclesiastes was a book that, of regrets that he wrote when he was an old man. And he was kind of looking back at that time in his life when he kind of went off the rails and decided, I'm going to live my life as if there is no God. 
He goes back to that time when he put God in a box, sealed the box up, put the box in the basement, covered the box with bricks, and lived life completely as if God did not exist. And then he says, let me tell you how that worked out for me. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't stammer or stutter. He gets right to the point, and he puts the key, the key to Ecclesiastes right at the front door. And here's what he discovered. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And then, just in case you missed the key at the front door, he puts another key at the back door of the book because he repeats this in the last chapter. He says in chapter 12, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. Now, I know most of you know this if you studied Hebrew. You know that the ancient Hebrews did not have what we call exclamation points. They didn't have a way to emphasize something. So, the way they would emphasize something is they would repeat it. So, for example, God is not just holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. That was Isaiah's way of emphasizing the holiness of God. Well, he does the same thing in this book. He repeats this word, meaningless, 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 over and over and over. For example, that word is used 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so, in effect, what Solomon is saying is, life without God is a big, fat zero. It's nothing times nothing, which equals nothing. And so, after a lifetime of exhaustive research and personal ex experience, Solomon sat down and wrote this book to reveal the single most important lesson anyone in any age will learn about life if, if all there is to life is life itself. And this is the lesson he gives us. He said, everything is nothing if everything is all there is. Everything is nothing if everything is all there is. But you see, that doesn't just beg the question of God. It begs the difference that God makes. And Solomon kind of says the same thing in different ways over 12 chapters. So, I kind of want to boil down what Solomon said in one sentence and then tell you why it's so important for those of us who are going to be sent out today, why it's so important that you hear what he had to say. Here's, what, here's his whole point. He said, only God can make the matter of life matter. Only God can make the matter of life matter. And then Solomon takes an entire book and he says, I want to show you four things that only God can give to your life. I want to show you four things that make the matter of life matter. Now, Solomon's already clued us into the first one. He said, number one, only God gives meaning to life. Someone has called Ecclesiastes Solomon's baccalaureate address to the human race because for 12 chapters he keeps singing the same song, maybe in a different key, but he keeps singing the same song, same verse over and over and over. If all there is to life that is life, then life means nothing. So listen again to what he says in chapter 1, verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Now listen to these next words. Everything is meaningless. Now, listen to that word, everything. He said, there is no part of anyone's life that means anything if there's no God. No part. 
No part of your life has any meaning whatsoever if there is no God. There was a recent survey that was done by John Hopkins University. They asked 8,000 students at 48 colleges, what do you consider to be the most important thing to you about your life? What is the number one goal you're trying to achieve in your life? By whopping 75%, listen to this, those students said their primary goal was finding a purpose and a meaning to my life. Those of you who are going to be sent out in just a few minutes, you have found your purpose and your meaning. You're obeying the God who created you to go to the nations and tell them about a God that loves them and a God that has a purpose for their lives. And I just want to say to you who are going out, I don't know what greater meaning you could have in your life than that. I don't know what a greater purpose you could fulfill in your life than that. And then Solomon explicitly says, now without God, this will be a fruitless search because if there's no God, life is utterly meaningless. And you think about it. If our lives are doomed to end in death, that not only does life not matter, it's worse than that. It doesn't matter how you live your life. As a matter of fact, if all there is to life is life, and if death is the end of everything, it doesn't even matter whether you ever existed or not. It doesn't even matter whether you ever took up space on this planet or not. See, it's not just true, and we all know this or you learn it in due time, it's not just true that life is brief, and it is. It's not just true that life passes quickly, and it does. It doesn't, it's not just true that life is relatively short. It's pointless. It means nothing. Apart from God, it has no meaning. Add up all the money you might make, all the title deeds you might have, all the stocks and bonds that you might own, all the times you might get your name in a newspaper, all the promotions you might get, all the ladders you might climb. Solomon says, without God, it's just one big zero. And you see, those of you who are about to be sent out and go to the nations, you're going to go to billions and billions of people. Who, though they've never heard of you two, they know the song. They sing it every day. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's why you're going, because they're looking for the God they don't know. I, I'm, uh, Dr. Aiken and I, as we've gotten older, we've learned the value of, of exercise, and, and we both, I exercise religiously. I've got a workout room in my home, and I, I have a stair-stepping stair machine. So about five to six days a week, I did it early yesterday morning, I get on my stair-stepping machine, and I go about 35 minutes full bore. I mean, I'm really you know, trying to work out. And it hit me the other day, I mean, I'm on this machine, I'm pushing this machine for all it's worth, I'm sweating bullets, I'm gasping for air, and yet, when I get through... Haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> Same place. Just haven't moved. 35 minutes of my day, I'm spending all this energy. We're going as hard as I can for as long as I can, and I haven't gone anywhere. And Solomon says, that's exactly what life is without God. So many people on this planet spinning wheels, running in circles, climbing ladders, but going nowhere. Someone said that without God, life is like a rat race on a treadmill. You run hard. You run long, but in the end you get nowhere. In fact, somebody said that life is a rat race, but even if you win, you're still a rat. I mean, that's so true. And since Solomon even closes with this devastating statement, listen to this. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday, and the things that will happen tomorrow, nobody will remember them either. Don't count on being remembered. Do you hear what he's saying? Without God, it makes no difference who you are. It makes no difference what you accomplish in life. It makes no difference where you go. 
It makes no difference what you do. It makes no difference what you have. Your life is totally inconsequential. And that's why you go to the nations. That's why you're being sent out. You're going out to tell billions of people out there that need to hear it, your life is more than a rat race. There is a purpose to your life. You were put here for a reason. There's a God that wants to know, that knows you, and there's a God that wants you to know Him. There's a God that loves you, and there's a God, as Bill Bright said, that does have a wonderful plan for your life. And that's why you're being sent out, and that's why you're going. So Solomon said, Take the scientist working in that lab trying to advance human knowledge. Take the doctor trying to find that cure for cancer. Take the diplomat working overtime trying to find peace in the Middle East. Take the soldier out there right now sacrificing his life trying to protect his country and keep our people free. Solomon says without God it all means nothing. Because only God can give meaning to life. And people need to hear about this God and know this God and discover their purpose in life. Only God can do that. Here's the second thing Solomon said. Only God can give meaning to life. Only God gives morality its foundation. Now, if I think about this. It stands to reason if there's no meaning to life, then there can be no morality in life. In other words, there really isn't a right that's always right, and there really isn't a wrong that's always wrong. That's why you can see this in the culture where we're living in today. As we have decreased the fear of God in our country, we have increased things that we used to say was wrong, now we say are right. It's just a logical corollary. That's just the way things work. There really isn't a good that's always good. There really isn't a bad that's always bad. Uh, one of our favorite authors, Dr. Ake, is Ravi Zacharias. He's a dear friend. I read everything that Ravi Zacharias writes. I love Ravi Zacharias. Well, several years ago, he was speaking at the University of Nottingham, England. And he tells a story about this real exasperated student in the audience. And he was attacking the whole idea that God existed because of evil and suffering in the world. You've heard the classic argument. His point was, because of all the evil there is in the world, God cannot possibly exist. And even if He did, He's not much of a God. He cannot be a very good God. Well, it's a very humorous conversation because as C.S. Lewis once said, there is nothing so self-defeating as a question that's not fully understood by the one who's asking it. So, this student, this student starts out by asking Zechariah this question. How can there possibly be a God with all the evil and all the suffering that exists in the world? Well, Ravi says, can, can we talk about that just publicly right now for a few moments? He said, sure. So, I want you to listen. This was their conversation beginning with a question from Ravi. Ravi says, when you say there's no such thing, there's such a thing as evil, are you not assuming that there's such a thing as good? The student says, of course. Ravi says, when you assume there's such a thing as good, are you not also assuming there's such a thing as a moral law on the basis I wish to distinguish between good and evil? The hesitant reply came back, I suppose so. Ravi says, well, if then there is a moral law, you must posit a moral lawgiver. But that's who you're trying to disprove and not prove. If there's no moral lawgiver, there's no moral law. If there's no moral law, there is no good. If there is no good, there is no evil. So, I'm not sure what your question is. <laughs> and the student then responds, neither am I. Can you please tell me what I should be asking you? <laughs> now, here's the point. Here's the point. You don't need God to believe there's right and wrong. I'm not saying that. You don't need God to believe there's good and evil. You don't even need God to try to live according to what you think is right or wrong or what you think is good and evil. That's not the point. Here's the point.
There's no rational basis to believe in good and evil if there is no God. There's no rational basis to believe in right and wrong if there is no God. Right and wrong then either become a matter of emotions, if it feels good I do it, or it becomes a matter of the intellect, I, I think it's okay so I'll do it, or it becomes a matter of opinion, well they say it's okay, Congress said it was okay, uh, you know the President says it's okay, so I guess if they say it's okay, it must be okay. The point is, apart from God, there cannot be any final objective unchanging right and final objective unchanging right or wrong. And by the way, don't take my word for this. There are now a lot of atheists who thank God at least honest enough to realize and say the same thing. I'll just give you one example. Richard Taylor, an atheist ethicist, says this, to say that something is wrong because it is forbidden by God is perfectly understandable to anyone who believes in a law-giving God. But to say that something is wrong or forbid it even though no God exists, is not understandable. He is totally right. But see, the problem goes even deeper. If there's no God, and life is going to end in death, then I want to pose, pose this question. Why should anybody do what they feel is morally right? Why, why should anyone live according to any moral standard? For example, why would you do anything if it ever goes against your own self-interest? If we're all going to die and death is the end and there is no God, why would you ever do anything that goes against your self-interest? So, I say this respectfully. For a soldier to give his life protecting my freedom makes absolutely no sense. You say, oh no, James, it's noble. No, without God it's stupid. Makes no sense. Because if we're all going to die anyway and death is the end of everything, the smartest thing we all ought to be doing is to do everything we can for our own self-preservation to live as long as possible. So, the, the only reason to do whatever you feel is good or think or good or say is good is because it benefits you in the end if there is no God. There's no good, there's no evil, there's no right, there's no wrong. We're all going to die anyway. And so, when you get to the bottom line, Ravi Zacharias is totally correct. Only God gives morality its basis. But here's what we know. There is an evil to shun. There is a good to embrace. There is a hell to avoid. There is a heaven to gain. And that's why you're being sent out. That's why you're going to the nations. To tell the people out there that need to hear it, there's a good God who doesn't want just what, good's for you, what is good for you. He wants what's best for you. And He doesn't just want it for you on this earth. He wants it for you in all eternity. So, without God, no meaning to life, no basis for morality. Here's the third thing. Only God gives a mandate for justice. Only God gives a mandate for justice. Now listen to how Solomon closes this book in verse 14, chapter 12. He says, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now here's the bottom line. If there is no God, then there's no ultimate justice for evil. Without God. Adolf Hitler gets away with murdering 50 million people. Without God, Mayo gets away with killing 40 million people. Without God, Joseph Stalin gets away with murdering 60 million people. In 1888, 1888 one of the most brutally unsolved crimes ever to happen in London, England, 
was committed in the Whitechapel District of London's East End. I've been there. All the victims were prostitutes. And they were murdered by probably one of the most famous people, one of the most famous criminals in all of history. You know who he was. His name was Jack the Ripper. To this very day, nobody knows who Jack the Ripper is. And as of 2015, Jack the Ripper got away with it. And if there is no God, I've got news for you, he will get away with it. Because without God, every unsolved murder doesn't just go unsolved, it goes unpunished. See, one of two things is true. Either somebody gets away with some things or nobody gets away with anything. I'm telling you, nobody gets away with anything. There is a God of justice. But let's just say there's not. Then I'm going to ask you a question. Why does it matter whether you're honest or whether you lie? Why does it matter whether you give or whether you take? Why does it matter whether you defend the life of the unborn or you take the life of the unborn? Because if there's no God out there who rewards you for good or punishes you for evil, what, as, as Hillary Clinton famously said, what does it matter? Dear God, don't let me sound like her, but what does it matter? What's the point? See, it should not surprise you that atheism is the centerpiece of communism. Did you know through the years that communism has allowed its leaders to murder more than a hundred million people? You, don't, you want to know why they did that? Richard, Richard Wormbrand, many of you have heard of him, a Christian who was tortured in communist prison, prisons. He made this observation. I want you to listen to what he said. He said, the cruelty of those who do not believe in God is hard to believe. When man has no faith in the reward of good or the punishment of evil, there is no reason to be human. There is no restraint from the depths of evil which is in man. My communist tortures often said, quote, there is no God, no hereafter, no punishment for evil. We can do what we wish. When you don't believe in God, you ignore the judgment of God. When you ignore the judgment of God, you lose the fear of God. When you lose the fear of God, all fear of recompense and all fear of punishment goes out the window. Only God gives a mandate for justice. But I want to tell all of you who are leaving today to go out to the nations, let me tell you the greatest reason why you're being sent out. Not only is it God that gives us meaning to life and a mandate for justice, only God gives a message of hope. Now listen, if there is no God, we have no hope. Somebody said, I read this the other day, Dr. Aiken, somebody said, you know, 10 years ago we had Steve Jobs, we had Johnny Cash, and we had Bob Hope. He said, today we have no cash, no jobs, and no hope. <laughs> now, you think about it. Old age, disease and death. If there's no God, they have the final say to life. I got news for some of you. I look at these seminary students every time I come down. I remember when we were young and we were the, sitting out there and we were, you know, other people standing up here. And I look at all these beautiful young people. I got news for you. Okay. I know I'm a lot older than a lot of you. We're all fighting a losing battle. You're going to lose the battle to death. You're not going to win it. For some of you it will be a senile death. For some of you it will be a painful death. For some of you it will be an early tragic death. But we're all fighting a losing battle with aging and deterioration to disease. And you think about it. Just think about the end being the end. Where nothing really matters. And we're just left asking, okay, if there is no God, what difference did my life make? So you know why you're going to the nations? Because there is a God.
You're going to the nation because there is a God of the Bible who came to earth in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross that He might deliver us from evil and come back from the dead, that He might deliver us from death. And I want to tell you, the empty tomb tells me every day, hope springs eternal. And there is a difference maker. He is the one that makes the ultimate difference. And that's why the wisest man who ever lived, who did everything he could, who did his best to live without God, came to this conclusion. Now, all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. And the wisest man who ever lived put his pen down looked up to the heavens and said, the conclusion of the matter is that only God can make the matter of life matter. Now look, I realize I'm kind of preaching to the choir. Okay, I get that. I, you know, we all believe in God, and if all the surveys are correct, 96% of Americans still say they believe in some kind of God. That's not what I'm addressing today. The question I'm asking all of us, including me afresh and anew right now, is this, okay, we believe in God. Here's the question I want to ask all of us. But what real difference is this God making in your life? What real difference is this God making in your life? You know, C.S. Lewis also said something else. C.S. Lewis said, God is not the sort of thing you can be moderately interested in. He said, after all, if God does not exist, there's no reason to be interested in God at all. However, if God does exist, then our ultimate concern ought to be, how can we know that God? How can we love that God? How can we be related to that God? How can we obey that God? How can we worship that God? And if that's true, we ought to be just as concerned as how we can tell others how they can know that God. And how they can love that God. And how they can worship that God. And how they can serve that God. And that's how they can obey that God. And we all know this. That's why God came in the form and flesh of His person, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. So that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. So that we could have a relationship with a God who says, Hey, I not only want to give you meaning to your earthly life. I want to give you the joy of eternal life. So I want to ask you to do this. We're, we're about finished. I want you to put your pens down, your pads down if you're taking notes. Just put it down. I want you to listen to this last story. This will be worth coming for. Because this story really illustrates, Dr. Aiken, why we're sending these kids and these young people to the nations. There was a 20-year-old teacher. Her name was Ann Sullivan. Ann Sullivan came to Tuscambia, Alabama in 1887 to tutor a helpless girl named Helen Keller. Helen Keller was blind. She could not see. She was deaf. She could not hear. She was mute. She could not speak. With tremendous patience and perseverance, day after day and week after week and agonizing month after month, Anne kept trying to build a, a line of communication to Helen Keller. Finally, one day, she poured some cold water over Helen Keller's hands, and she spelled out the word water. And for the first time, the light came on, and the miracle of communication was planted in Helen Keller's heart. So Anne then began to try to get into her heart the concept of a God a God that loved her, a God that made her, a God that had a plan for her life. 
And the day finally came that she took Helen Keller's hands and she spelled out three letters, G-O-D. And Helen Keller immediately with her hands said this to her, I always knew he was there, I just didn't know his name. Let me tell you something. There are people all over this world, they know he's there. Francis Schaeffer was right. There is a God who is there. They know He's there. They just don't know His name. We do. His name is Jesus. There is a God who is there. He is the ultimate difference maker in this world and then this life. And we can bear witness. When you come to know that Jesus, what a difference He makes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, You have made every one of us different to be different makers. And as we come to commission these wonderful, sweet, godly, precious people, leaving home and hearth and family and friends to go to places maybe some of them not even yet seen, Father, thank You for their willingness to go to the people who say, I know there's a God, just don't know His name. Bless them protect them, favor them, use them. And thank you for a president, and thank you for a seminary that has the nations on their heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.